Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Verse 34. Some of you might see big, bold letters. The greatest commandment. Right there. It's very daunting. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, t- testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, man, bless this word. God, you are above and beyond what we can comprehend, but I thank you so much that you have given us a glimpse into who you are and your character through your word. I pray that we learn more about you and more about ourselves, God. Um, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have to say. Lord, any words that are said of me, may they just be forgotten. Any words that are said of you, as we always pray, may they be etched upon our hearts for all of eternity to worship you. We love you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So to give you guys a little bit of context uh, as to what's happening in this passage. Some of you have maybe gone through this passage before, but for those of you who haven't, just to give you guys a little bit of context, Jesus right now is increasing in popularity among the crowds. He's increasing in popularity and he's going along uh, different towns and different areas and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's giving all these parables. And in the midst of this popularity growth, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are the religious leaders at the time, are, they're getting very irritable. Because in, in the first year of Jesus' biblical ministry, he, had, he, he ministered his entire life, but in the three years that we have uh, recorded in the Bible, in these three years, the first year he's getting started, he's picking his disciples, and, and, and momentum is starting to grow. And in the second year of his ministry, popularity is just booming. And then the third year of his ministry is when the persecution occurs. And he's in the second year of his ministry right now, and there's, and there's just this heavy growth in crowds flocking to Jesus to hear what he has to say. And in the midst of that, these Sadducees and these Pharisees are getting irritable. Very irritable, because who's following are they, is Jesus taking away? Theirs, right? Theirs. And so the Sadducees, we see that Jesus, the Sadducees were discussing with Jesus. The Sadducees, they were the more liberal and worldly leaders, religious leaders. Um, They were very loosey-goosey with the word of God. Uh, They came up with different theology that really didn't fit what the Bible said. However, it was... It was very well accepted in the world, right? So they were people that were very engaged in the world, and they were very liberal with their teaching. And, and, and they had just gotten done with trying to have Jesus confirm, because they're like, oh, Jesus is a hipster too, so we'll just ask, you know? We'll just ask him to confirm our world beliefs, and so, so they asked him to confirm, oh, Jesus, you know, there is no resurrection, right? And, you know, all of these different things, and Jesus is like, he doesn't even deal with that. He's not going to confirm their false beliefs, right? 
And then the Pharisees come along. The Pharisees come along, and they were the more strict and conservative leader, religious leaders of the day. You know, they were the ones that held so strictly and so tight to the law that they would give a tenth of everything, even like the spices that they would cultivate, right? They, they would give the, a tenth of everything to the temple, right? They, they, they would adhere to the Sabbath so strictly that they wouldn't even move a chair to sit in because it would be considered plowing because the dust would churn up, right? These were the people that wouldn't even allow themselves to carry anything that was heavier than a dried fig leaf, right? These are the people that, that were just so staunch in their interpretation of the word, and they, then they would add more laws onto that. And so naturally, they're getting very irritable at Jesus. They're getting very uptight. They're getting very skeptical, and they were seeking to trick Jesus into saying something that would upset the crowd, because if they can get the crowd to hate Jesus, maybe the crowd will come back to them, and they'll get their money again, right? They'll get their money again, and so the Pharisees, they're they're taking jabs at Jesus, and they ask him this specific question. Teacher, a lawyer comes up to him, a Pharisee who's also a lawyer, he comes up to him, and he says, teacher, what is the most important law? What is the most important commandment? Because many rabbis back then, they would adhere to certain laws and they would, they would put them on a pedestal, so to speak. They would say that certain laws were more important than the other, right? Certain rabbis would say, well, we believe that the Sabbath law was probably the most important law that was established. So, so he, would, he would really emphasize in his teaching the Sabbath, and then some other rabbis, they'd be like, well, we think that temple worship is probably, and every law that has to deal with that, those are the most important laws. Therefore, they would teach that. Then there was also certain rabbis that were like, well, the temple sacrifices or the establishment of priests, all of these things. Certain rabbis had their thing. And naturally, there would be followings of those rabbis. We do the same today, thing today, don't we, in Christianity? We do the exact same thing, all right? We're, we're, we look at churches, and we look at, all right, so that pastor emphasizes this. Therefore, I'm going to stay at this church. This pastor really does, has this teaching style. Therefore, I'm going to go with this. And then there's certain church hoppers who, they, they go from church to church to church, and they, they look for buzzwords, right? Look for buzzwords. If that pastor mentions that, I'm out of here, right? If that pastor mentions that, there's no way I'm staying, right? Or they look for buzzwords. Ah, they're just looking for those certain to validate their opinions, right? They're looking for pastors, not to feed them the word of God, but to validate their already preconceived prejudice, right? So, so they're just looking, all right, is this pastor going to give me what I want? He's going to give me what I want. Some of you are doing that to me. Like, oh. <laughs> Who's this young guy? I don't really like this. Is he selling diapers? What is that? How young is he? I'm four times as old as this kid. So, so we, we do this, right? We, 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 we gravitate towards certain teachers that emphasize certain things that we adhere to personally, right? We don't go to get fed. We, we just want to be validated, right? We don't, want, we don't want to be fed into. We don't want new truths. We just want to validate the truths we already have come up for ourselves, right? And, and, and so the Pharisees, they're like, if we can get Jesus to pick a side, then naturally the crowd will say, hmm, don't know if I believe that, Jesus. I think I'm going to go back to this guy, right? 
And so if they can get Jesus to pick a side, then they can cut off his ministry. And so everyone is hanging on their seats, just wondering, okay, what's Jesus going to say? What's the most important law? I mean, this is Jesus. What's the most important law in scripture? And they're just hanging on their seats. What is it? What is it? And Jesus simply quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It says might, not mind in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he quotes Leviticus chapter 19, where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. And so Jesus, naturally, he just, he totally evades choosing one law over the other, and he gets to the heart of the law, the heart of the law. He says, on this hang all the law of the prophets. On this hang all of the laws. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, because I'm a, I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd, I'm a little bit of, you know, I, I, I like to you know, look at the direct translations and I like to look at different interpretations of things. And, and when we look at the original translation, It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. With all your might. And so we say, well, did Jesus change it when he said mind instead of might in the original passage? No, actually. Jesus actually just went straight to what it meant, rather. He went straight to what it meant. You see, the word for heart and soul, it's directly translated, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul with as much strength as you have. You shall love the Lord your God with who you are with as much strength as you have. And so we look at the Hebrew word for soul, heart and soul are synonyms for the word nafesh. Nafesh. Say it with me. Nafesh. 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 Ooh, sounds good. Pastor Marty had to correct me like 40 times, right? It's nafesh, not nafesh. Nafesh, <laughs> nafesh, right? Nafesh means soul in Hebrew. Nafesh, soul. And it's a word used to describe all that you are. All that you are. Not just a specific part of who you are, everything you are. Your likes, your dislikes, your personal preferences, the type of people you gravitate towards, your musical preference. Everything you are, your taste in food, your taste in music, your taste in who you hang out with and the type of movies you enjoy. The shallow stuff, like what type, what's your favorite ice cream flavor, right? And then the deep stuff, the deep stuff, like the hidden desires and ambitions of your heart, what you truly want to do with your life. This is your soul. Nafesh, nafesh, nafesh. This is your soul. It's who you are as a person. It was C.S. Lewis who said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Your soul, your nafesh is who you are. Who you are as a person. The, it, purely, when you cut out all, all, all the crap that you know, people have put on you, all the... Uh, uh, all the expectations people have put on you, all the conditioning people have put you through to be a specific type of person. When you, when you weed that all out, all you have left is your nafesh, your soul, who you truly are, who you truly are. 
Your soul is who you are as a person. Everything you are. So when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, he is saying, you shall love me with all that you are. You shall love me according to who you are as a person. You shall love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Encapsulating your heart, your desires, and your passions, your soul, your spirituality, and your mind, your thought life. Encapsulating all of your soul, all of your nafesh, who you are. And Jesus says that. You shall love God with all that you are. You know, Pastor Mark, he said it great. You know, it was an amazing sermon last week and it convicted me like crazy. And, and he talked about how we, we can't compartmentalize our lives, right? We can't have our work life and our home life and our church life, right? It, it, it can't be like, oh, I do this uh, just to get through it so then I can do things for God, right? We can't compartmentalize like that. Everything flows in to a life for God. And, and, and when, we, when we read this passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, we're thinking, okay, so how do I do that, though? How do I how do, I do that? And, and for me, at least, and for some of us, we're, we're looking for a solution, right? A solution. Do everything for God's glory. How? Right? How do we do everything for his glory? How, how does that work Practically, is it ever really that simple? Oh, just do everything for God's glory. What do you mean? How do you, how do, you do that? How do I make my work like? How do I make my home life? How do I make my marriage? How do I make my relationship with my kids? How do I make that holy? So in order to love God with all that we are, we seek to honor him in all that we do, right? We seek to honor him in all that we do. And by making everything in our lives Christian, we try to do that. Because we're confused on how to love God with all that we are, we just take things in our lives that aren't Christian and try to make them more Christian. Right? Like, okay, um, workplace, not Christian. Okay, how can I make that more Christian? And then sometimes we'll get frustrated. Okay, I can't make it more Christian, so I lost cause. Or sometimes, you know, it would be a temptation for me to say, "Ah, you know, my college that I'm going to, not Christian. And then I could try to redeem it, but if it really isn't working out, maybe I'll go to a Christian school. Man, they're all Christian there, right? Not. <laughs> and, but, but we do this. We get frustrated because when we, when we look at the passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, immediately we try to do things. We try to get things done. We try to change what's around us. All right, how do I change my lifestyle? How do, I, how do I take things that aren't Christian and make them more Christian? How do I love God in the way of my actions? How do I love God in the way of my actions and, and the way I do things and the way I live my life? How do I love God in that way? Many of you have grown up with this type of Christianity, this very moralistic deism, I would call it where it's not really, you're not really worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping morality, right? That's what I love about our kids' ministry. Chris is not saying, okay, just be nice people. She's saying, here's Jesus, right? And, and, and so we, we, have this, we have this thing in our heads where we, we want to be good people and we want to do the Christian thing, but it doesn't, it's not that black and white, right? It's not that black and white. 
don't get confused. Ministry and staying busy for God is great. We're called to make disciples of all nations, right? We're called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're called to change the culture around us. We're called to love the people around us with the love of God. However, we must remember that that's the second greatest commandment, not the first. And so when, when we try to love God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our mind, we drum up ideas in our head of how to do ministry or how to love people better or how to give ourselves to other people. When in all reality, that's the second greatest commandment, not the first. We have mistaken Christianity to think it's all about helping people, helping people, helping people, helping people. Is helping people good? Yes, of course. Is it the first and greatest commandment? No. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, while I'm looking for things to do for God, I'm glazing over the greatest commandment, which is to be with God. To be with God. You see, we read the word and we're always looking for things to do because we're Americans. We're Americans, a hammer in one hand and an American flag in the other. We just get her done. We get her done. That's what Americans do. Ah, like, so, so when new Christians often come to Christ, they, they're just like, now what do I do? <laughs> right? Like the Bible's a hammer. What do I build with it? How do I get things done? How do I get things done? Because we just... We, we just always want to be busy and we want to do things because we validate ourselves in that way. The first thing we do when we introduce ourselves to each other is like, oh, what's your name? Like, what do you do? Right? There's always like the first introductions. What do you, what do, you do? Well, I have this job. I have this job. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm, I'm this. Like, we, we're, we identify ourselves based on the merit we have. We, we identify ourselves, we introduce ourselves based on what we do, not who we are, based on what we do. And so when we read the word, oftentimes we're like, all right, so what do I do? What are my instructions? How do I be a good Christian? How do I be a good Christian? David had a completely different reason for getting in the word, other than to just be a better Christian other than to just find out what to do as far as instruction manuals go. I hate referencing the word like that, an instruction manual. It's not. It's not. It's how I discover my God. This is how I grow in a deeper relationship with my God. It's not an instruction manual that I just, all right, step one, step two, step three, step four. This is how I get in community with the savior and creator of the universe. It's not an instruction manual like how to build a playset, right? It's so much deeper than that, so much greater than that. And David had a completely different reason for getting into the word. In Psalm 119, in verse 10, he said, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. My soul is consumed. My nafesh is consumed. 
my nafesh, soul, clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. My soul, nafesh, longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. 175, let my nafesh, soul, live and praise you and let your rules help me praise you. And so we see that what does it mean to be with God? What does it mean to love God with your whole self? What does it mean to love God with all that you are? It doesn't mean you need to conform every part of your life to make it look more Christian. It means that all that you are just wants to be with God. Just wants to be with God. We have to get out of our our minds that there's a difference between doing things for God and being with God. There's a difference there. You see, because the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the second greatest is love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll say, you'll never be able to love your neighbor as yourself if you have not first realized the love that God has bestowed upon you. And you have that love, that mutual agape love for one another. As you learn to receive love from God, you will learn to properly give it to others. But we, but I know, I say we, but mostly me. If anything, I'm preaching to myself right now. But I tend to overlook being with God and consume my life for doing things for God. And for those of you who aren't Christian or those of you who are Christian and have forgotten, there's a greater intimacy. There's a greater intimacy than just being a good person. Listen, the God of the universe who rules and commands the the sun to rise, the, the one, the creator and the sustainer of gravity, but every cell in your body, the creator and sustainer, the one who holds a newborn babe in his hand is also the one who holds the galaxies in his hand. The one who is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, holds every single time, every single concept of time right here. He lives outside of it. He is glorious. He is majestic. He is the creator of everything you see before you and the sustainer of everything you see before you. And at a blink of an eye or just a thought in God's head, he can make all of us disappear. And it is this God that desires to be with you. This God so great and this God so mighty, this God so majestic is a God that wants to sit down with you and just talk with you. A God that wants to sit down and let you know how much he loves your nafesh, your soul, who you are. Not the person you're trying to be, not the person you used to be. He loves who you are. He loves who you are. And he wants to be with who you are. And he wants to have a relationship with who you are. This incredible God wants such an intimate relationship with you. This, this God that loves creation on a cosmic level loves you on such a small level. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. And maybe I'm the only one who struggles with this, but I'm so busy 
so busy. None of you can relate to that, right? None of you are busy. (laughs) We're all so busy. And some of us are busy, most of us are busy doing great things. Raising children, starting families, uh, being, like, as, as Mark said, being a part of the process of keeping the world going and tilling the ground, working hard, building relationships, helping others, doing ministry, being the light of Christ into this world. We're very busy doing these things. I, 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 would, I would venture to say most of us, we're, we're, we have very good intentions in doing good things. Now, some of us only live for ourselves, right? But I would say, this is Godspeed Calvary Chapel. You guys are living for others and pouring into others. However, that's the second greatest commandment. You have to remember that. That's the second greatest commandment. It's not the first. It's the second greatest commandment. And it's that commandment that needs to flow in through the first greatest commandment which is to simply love and be with God and then love others and then pour yourself out. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. It's an amazing book. I recommend it to any Christian. It it, it essentially goes through this process of stopping, stop identifying yourself based on what you do or what others do and all the societal pressures that are, that are surrounded around us and just simply being with God and allowing him to identify us. And so there's many people that want to be spiritually mature, but they're not even emotionally mature, which means they don't even have a good perspective of who they are. And I love what Scazzaro says right here. It's my, one of my favorite quotes from his, from his book. It says, our greatest weakness flows from our greatest strength. We excel at leading people to a personal relationship with Jesus and mobilizing the church to go out and make disciples of all nations. But because of that excellence, we often do not pay attention to God. We are too active for the kind of reflection needed to sustain a life of love with God and others. So sometimes we work ourselves into a relationship away from God. We work ourselves out of a relationship with God. We distance ourselves. And some of you have experienced this. I know I myself have experienced this. The more busy I get, the less time I have for the relationships that are most important to me, including God, including God. And I've been thinking a lot about what it means to truly love God. What does it mean to truly love God? And I always had this perspective that the more I love God, the more I'm going to pour out to others which is true, right? But I'm forgetting where the driving force behind that is. You see, God has been weeding out of me some issues in my character. And I, I, I would venture to say that some of you in here need the same butt kicking that I need from God, where, where I have been so busy and I've been pouring myself out to others and God's looking at all the good Christian things that I'm doing. And he, he, he said to me so specifically, he said, Zach, I'm not pleased with this. I'm not pleased with all these discipleship meetings. I'm not pleased with all of this adding new jobs. I'm not pleased with all of the schoolwork you're doing. I'm not, I'm not pleased with all of it. I don't care about it. 
Where are you? What about the times where you and I would just take a drive and we would just talk? What about the times where you could not wait to wake up early in the morning just so you can get in the word with me? You were so busy, consumed with pouring yourself out to other people that I get none of you. And you are a useless tool to me if you do not spend time with me, Zach. I would venture to say that the Lord is saying the same thing to some of you. He's saying, you cannot hope to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't even know how to receive the love I want to give you. And and, and so we need to have this vast reformation of our schedules. We need to have a reformation in the way we view God where it's not all about just being a good person. It's about being with God. It's about sitting down in his presence. It's about opening up the word, not because it's a religious thing to do. You see, because many times I'll I'll get up in the morning. All right, today is, uh, okay, it's February 8th, Proverbs 8. Good, cool. Love you, God. (laughs) And then I leave. Then I leave. I get right out of there. That's not time with God. That's baloney. What if you treated your spouse that way? What if you only talk to your spouse on Sunday? For those of you who have your best friend, what if you only saw them for like an hour and a half on Sunday? Right? It's a poor relationship that we have with God if this is the only time you have with him. It's a very poor relationship. And and I've been so busy trying to do things for God that I haven't spent any time with him. I haven't spent any time with him. And when we take real actual time in the word, real actual time in the word, not not because it's out of habit, but just simply because we want to be with him. If it's just you, God, and your Bible, and you seek to have some serious self-reflection between you and your Savior, I can guarantee two things will happen if you approach him with a genuine heart. Two things will happen. First, You'll look at his word, you'll look at how mighty he is, and you'll find out how small you are. Think about when you're actually truly in God's word, you realize just how tiny you are. And how God doesn't need you. Isn't that crazy? I know you think you're like the biggest gift to mankind, but God doesn't need you. Right? Like, I, that's, I mean, that's me, at least. Like, God's like, Zach, like, I'm a pretty powerful guy. Like, um, I don't need you. Um, I like you, but I don't need you. Right? And so, so when I'm reflecting in God's word, I realize something. God doesn't need my good deeds. He doesn't need my help with anything. He doesn't need my help. So that's the first thing you realize when you do actual self-reflection in the word and when you actually contemplate God's word and seek to know about his character, you realize how small you are and how God doesn't need you. But the second thing you learn, which is right after that, is though you are small, you are so incredibly loved. You are so incredibly loved by God. You are so precious to him. You are so valuable to him. 
And as you reflect on how small you are and how big God is and how crazy it would be for a God so holy to love you as much as he does, what happens then is that I have an accurate view of myself now. Because I've spent time with God, the more time I spend with God, a more accurate and humble view I have of me. Therefore, the second greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself, comes so much easier. When I am in reflection with God and I have been adorned by his love and by his will and I'm surrounded by his word, I can then look at someone else with the same love that God has given me because I've spent time with him. Because I've spent time with him. You see, some of you have no idea what it's like to truly love God or to love others or even how to love yourself. And I'll tell you, it's because you haven't let the gospel completely identify you. You haven't allowed the gospel to completely affect who you are. Because we we often think of the gospel, we often think of the gospel as, okay, the gospel has saved me from the old person, right? The gospel has saved me from who I used to be, right? I once was here and now I'm here. That's the gospel. He's helped me get there. God doesn't just, the gospel doesn't just help you Realize, okay, this is the old person. He's also wanting to continually show you who you are currently. So not just your past. It doesn't just reveal the sins of your past. God wants you to see how much of an amazing soul you have now. And so when you spend time with him, he, he cuts out all of, the, all of the societal pressures that have been put on you, all the pressures that your parents may have put on you as a kid, all the lame identity issues that society has put on you or your spouse or your kids have put on you or any type of pressure or any type of misinformation that you have about you because of any abuse or any sin that's been committed against you or the addictions that you were a part of. That has tainted your view of yourself. And the more time you spend of God, the more he peels away at that and you realize your nafesh, your soul, who you are. And so you're no longer doing things because people expect you to do those things. You're doing it because you know who you are. And you know your God and what he wants you to do. You're no longer doing it because it's the Christian thing to do and it's what people expect you to do. You're doing it because you know exactly who you are. This is me. Therefore, this is my ministry. It's an empowering thing to be with God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful relationship we have with him. I'll close soon with Psalm 27, verse 8. It says, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. A truly beautiful relationship with God is him calling us and him calling us to seek him and for us to say, yes, Lord, I seek you. It's almost like God saying, I got just so much treasure, man. And then I've got this wicked sweet map and you're gonna have fun. You're gonna have fun seeking me. And so our relationship with God is all about him saying, come on, seek me. I've got so much for you. And us just having a blast as a soul that is a voyager going and seeking our Lord. And do you know what? The journey is just as good as the destination and the destination is just as good as the journey, man. It's so good. It's so good.
But even then, it's like, okay, what do I do? Right? It's like, all right, all right, Zach, okay. All right, I got to be before God. I got to stop doing. Okay, but what do I do? Come on. <laughs> what do I do? I still need, I need to leave with something. What do I do? Where's the application here? Where's the application? And I'll just use this. I'll close with this. In 1 Samuel, Samuel was called to go choose the new king of Israel. Do we know the story? We kind of have a general idea of the story, how David was chosen, right? Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. God says, in the house of Jesse, you'll find the new king of Israel that I'm going to anoint. All right, and so, so Jesse lines up all of his sons, and Samuel looks at every single one of Jesse's sons, and he's just like, all right, this guy looks pretty king-like, right? Whatever that means, like, you know, I think we all have this idea of what a king looks like, you know, powerful with a massive, awesome beard, right, and a crown, that's what I picture, purple robe, and scepter. Anyways, okay, uh, all these people are lined up, all these people are lined up, and, and, and Samuel's looking at them, and he's like, all right, this, this guy, he's smart. He's brilliant. He has a brilliant mind. Maybe he can be used in, in, in tactics and strategy. Maybe he can just bring our, our country into a new form of architecture. He has a brilliant mind. Or he looks at this guy. He's charismatic. He knows how to lead a nation and, and, and lead people. This guy's a great warrior. He, he, can make our, he can make our army better than it's ever been before. Or this guy, he's, he's quiet, but he's, he's stern and he knows what he wants. Or this guy, he knows the law of the Lord, so he can, he can teach us in the temples. And, and, and Samuel's looking at all of Jesse's sons to find out who's going to be king. And what does God say? None of them. Not the talented one, not the charismatic one, not the smart one, not the one who has the degree not the one who has this many jobs or not the one who has this much income or not the one who knows all this type of ministry or has this type of experience. God says, I want none of them. I look at the heart. And who does he choose? Who does he choose? David. He chooses David, this lowly little shepherd boy. And here's the thing. Shepherds were gone for months at a time. Shepherds were gone from their families for months at a time with no one but him and his sheep. For months, just out in the field, out in the stars, watching the sheep just graze or watching them sleep, watching over them. He has to stay up late because he has to protect them. And David's out in the quiet, and the cool breeze is, is coming in, and the stars are out in the sky. He hasn't spoken to anyone in a while. But who does he have? He talks to God. And God says, I picked David because he is a man after my own heart. He knows how to sit still and be with me. He knows how to listen to me. He loves my word. And his soul is satisfied in me. And so here's the thing. When it comes time, guys, when it comes time for God to choose the generation that's going to make a huge movement, when, when God chooses those people that are going to lead a nation into what we desire, which is a nation that bows down to God, when it's time for God to choose someone who's going to minister to that person or who's going to make disciples, when, time, when the time comes for God to choose a servant that is worthy enough 
to do great things for his name. He's not going to choose any of the sons who may be smart or may be talented or have a huge resume of things that they always do for God. God will choose the one who is simply satisfied in him and knows how to sit still and take an hour out of their day to be with God. And this is convicting for me because in all my schedule making, only till recently is there that one hour on my calendar that says, time for God. And this may mean you need to wake up an hour early or go to bed an hour late. This may mean you need to hire a sitter. It may mean you need to ask your spouse to just take the kids for a while. It may mean you need to cancel a couple of appointments at work even. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be added on to you. Meaning if you seek me first, I'll add on to you. I'll add on to you. So let's seek God with our time. Let's sit down and actually want to be with him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, God, tug upon our hearts to desire to simply be with you, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And out of that, Lord out of that relationship we have with you, fill us, empower us, embolden us so that we may properly love our neighbors as you have loved us. Oh God, just transform my heart. I need to be conformed to your image more. I need, I need more of you. I want more of you. God, we realize that anointing is not how much we do for you. It's how much we want to receive from you, Lord. So pour down your grace upon us, God. Pour down your grace, Lord. We love you, God. We give you this time. We give you this day. We give you this week. We give you our lives. Forever until you come, let us seek you. And then forevermore when you come, let us worship you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, your children say, amen. Amen.